Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This podcast is brought to you by Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD. In an uncertain economy, if you're looking for wealth management solutions and financial advice, go to KirkElliottPhD.com and make an appointment today. Coming up, Debbie and I will discuss how Derek Chauvin got shafted, how the Biden regime continues to elude the posse, the GOP effort to get Jeffrey Epstein's flight logs, how Javier Millet is hitting the ground running in Argentina, and how our meeting with Myra Flores in um, the Rio Grande Valley is all about turning, keeping Texas red. I'll also discuss the historical significance of the birth of Jesus. Hey, if you're watching on Rumble or listening on Apple, Google, or Spotify, please subscribe to my channel. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Show. The times are crazy. In a time of confusion, division, and lies, we need a brave voice of reason, understanding, and truth. This is the Dinesh D'Souza Podcast. As we um, go into the Christmas season and approach Christmas itself, I thought I would uh, reflect about the significance of Christmas, the significance of the birth of Jesus in the world, and how that has made all the difference in the world. When we think about Jesus and about the original Christian movement, it is, well, I guess I would call it the original counterculture. We use the word counterculture a lot. We talk about how the left was the counterculture in the 1960s, a culture that arose sort of in resistance to the culture of the 50s. In some ways, conservatives say, well, we're the counterculture today against the regnant or established culture of the left. But globally, the first real counterculture was the rise of Christianity, a rise against the backdrop of the Roman Empire. And in a way that I'm about to to tell you, Christianity was a counterculture in that it brought these new values into the world. Values that really didn't exist before. Things that people didn't think were important suddenly became important under Christianity. Well, one of them is the family. It seems odd to say because everybody has families. But in, in the Roman world, the family was considered something that was kind of necessary. It's there, kind of like you need air to breathe. And of course, you need families to have children, but this was not considered central to the society, not important and and certainly not important to male existence in Roman society. But Christianity, again, starting with the original holy couple, which is Joseph and Jesus, and then, uh, sorry, Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, that's the sort of original holy family. Uh, Suddenly, the family takes on a new importance, compassion, this idea of caring for people, and not just people who are, I care for my family, or I care for my neighbor, or I care for my friends, but just caring for people who are in a bad way. Uh, this idea of compassion in a generalized sense is new with Christianity. The Romans didn't even consider it a virtue. It's not listed in the Roman or even the Greek uh, virtues. Universal brotherhood, the idea that we, all of us as humans, have human dignity, the idea that um, that we uh, should have a certain kind of uh, care for and consideration for everybody uh, in the world because they are, after all, children of God. That's where the concept of universal brotherhood comes from. And again, this goes against the ancient ethic that was very tribal. You care about yourself. You care about your own tribe, your own people. Doesn't mean you're necessarily against everybody else, but you know, if they've got a problem, well, it's, it's their problem. They've got to figure out a way to deal with it. It's not your problem to deal with. So this is the, the social and moral revolution brought about by Christianity. And of course, at the center of Christianity 
is a single person, namely Christ. And this, if you think about it, is unusual. I say that because there is no single figure at the heart of any other religion. Uh, if you think even of Hinduism, you've got a kind of a pantheon of Hindu gods. You've got important figures like Krishna and Rama and so on. But none of them are by themselves defining Hinduism. Same with Islam. Yeah, Muhammad is a prophet. God chose him supposedly to deliver the Quran to. But Muhammad is a man. He's an ordinary guy. God just happened to choose him to deliver this particular revelation in the understanding of Muslims. Uh, but nevertheless, if, if Muhammad wasn't around, God could have delivered the, re- the, the revelation some other way. Um, and similarly in Judaism, you have important prophets, you have Abraham, you have Moses, you have others. Uh, but again, uh, Judaism would still exist if you removed any single one of these guys. So Judaism isn't ultimately based on a single person. But Christianity is Jesus. Um, and, um, and I think uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that Jesus is quite simply the most distinctive and the most important and the most influential figure of all time. He's distinctive in the sense that the statements of Jesus are so memorable, so striking, that uh, if Jesus were to walk into a crowded room today, we would recognize him immediately. This is a point, by the way, that C.S. Lewis makes. Jesus is one of the few figures that speaks in a distinctive voice. The other thing about Jesus that's so interesting is that even though he was such a gentle figure, such a good man, said and did nothing wrong, uh, and I think did, said or did nothing wrong by common agreement. If you had a group of people and said, can you name one thing that Jesus did that he shouldn't have done, one way in which he harmed somebody else or said something that he shouldn't have said, you'd be hard-pressed to do that. In that sense, the sinlessness of Jesus is confirmed in everything that we know about Jesus in all the Gospels and all the accounts about him, and yet... He's an unbelievably divisive figure. Think about that. Jesus is divisive and has been divisive, by the way, from the very beginning. Uh, And and that really, I think, tells you that Jesus is the kind of figure that separates, as the Bible goes, the wheat from the chaff, you know, the wolves from the lambs. Jesus is the litmus test. Uh, and, and, And even if you aren't a religious guy, you aren't a Christian, you can step back and say that this one man has made more difference to the world, and I would argue difference for good, than any other person you can name. All the conquerors, all the important figures in this respect or that, and some people have been hugely influential. Muhammad has been hugely influential. Isaac Newton, Karl Marx, Einstein, influential in different ways. And yet all of their influence, put it all together and add it up, it doesn't equal the influence of this solitary figure, the figure at the fulcrum of all human history, who, by the way, happened to live almost at the midpoint of history. Uh, Debbie's always sort of struck by that. It's really interesting. You have a couple of thousand years of history before Jesus. Then you have Jesus right at the center. We've had a couple of thousand years of history after that. Uh, who knows when the world will end and how we can look back and see Jesus's position in the flow of history. But whatever his position in terms of the sweep of history, his difference to history and to mankind, I think, is immeasurable. During times of economic uncertainty and political upheaval, it's crucial to have a reliable source of financial guidance and insight. That's where Dr. Kirk Elliott, PhD, and his esteemed wealth management advisory firm come into play. Dr. Elliott has distinguished himself with two PhDs in economics and theology. He's built a reputation in expert financial solutions tailored to your unique needs. His firm specializes in wealth management, offering a comprehensive array of services to protect and grow your assets assets in an ever-changing world. In an environment with economic volatility, shifting political landscapes, finding a trusted partner during these challenges is essential. Dr. Elliott's firm employs cutting-edge strategies and a deep understanding of markets to guide you toward financial success. Go to 
kirkelliotphd.com. That's two L's and two T's. kirkelliotphd.com slash Dinesh. Book an appointment. They will explain their process about investing. That's kirkelliotphd.com slash Dinesh. Or you can call or text 720-605-3900. Number again, 720-605-3900. Debbie and I here for our Friday Roundup. And we should point out that, well... As we go into the Christmas season, this is kind of our last roundup of the year. And in fact, my last podcast of the year in that we're going to be taking a little time off. So next week, Monica Crowley will be sitting in for me. So she'll be doing the five days. She's awesome. And I think it's going to be really fun. So give her a chance, listen to the podcast or watch it. And then in the four days after Christmas, because I guess Monday, that Monday Monday is a holiday. holiday. Mm -hmm. Kyle Serafin, the FBI whistleblower, who has his own podcast, will be sitting in for me those four days. And that will take us through the end of the year. And then I will pick it up the beginning of 2024, a big year uh, coming up. Uh, Yesterday, um, I had Liz Collin on, uh, the producer of The Fall of Minneapolis talking about the Derek Chauvin story. And it seems that as these facts come to light, we have, we have been witness to just a horrific miscarriage of justice. What, what's your take on this? Well, I think, I think it was all orchestrated, to be honest. I think they were just waiting for some police brutality quote to take place. At that time, right? So that there could be a massive, massive fight of between, you know, whites, blacks, whatever. Because as you know, it, it's really not a problem until they make it a problem. Um, there are, yes, I'm going to say there are some, some criminals that, that do get shafted. I, we know this, right? Of course. But for the most part, these people are very dangerous individuals who actually would be very happy to kill a cop. Uh, or who would be very happy to do a home invasion. Right. Or would be very happy to do an armed robbery. And so, so these people are very dangerous individuals. And it's a good thing that we do have a police force that can stop them because if, if we don't, what's the alternative? We have to do it ourselves. I mean, right? for the left, interestingly, they needed a narrative, not just of police brutality, but they needed the racial element. Yeah. They needed all of it. Even if all the racial it. element had to be invented, as long as you have a white cop and you have a black criminal, You've got the tableau. You've got the picture that you can now use to create your your public fiction, right? And that's what they did in this right. case. That's what they did, and it, it's it's very very sad that they had to actually have a sacrificial lamb, right? You know, to to do this because, as Liz pointed out, Liz Colin pointed out, he's not really a bad guy in as a person. Uh, he's a very shy person, small individual. Not a racist. In fact, he's had, he, he's had partners that were, that were black or Latino or minorities, never had a problem with them. So, so the fact that not only did they turn this into police brutality, which actually after, after hearing all the evidence, that really didn't amount to police brutality because they were following the playbook of the police force, right? Right. I mean, you can argue whether or not they should have those kinds of techniques. I think they're called maximum restraint, MRT, maximum restraint mm-hmm. techniques. So, but that's a policy issue. You can change the policy and then maybe they don't do those things. Mm-hmm. But while they're trained to do them, Chauvin carries that out, that exact maneuver. This was an unruly guy. I mean, you had this sort of you know, canonization of George Floyd, like St. George Floyd, yeah, yeah. and there are monuments. Can you believe there are now monuments I, to this guy? Right. They, uh, yes. And people and, took a knee to George Floyd, yeah. Nancy and Pelosi, was, and others. And apparently, he had a pretty big rap sheet. He was a home invader, right? He was a bad guy. Uh, he was a bad guy. In fact, it is known that he had fentanyl in his system. Fentanyl kills people. So, did he die because of fentanyl? Did he die because of other drugs in his system? Did he die because he had really, really bad cholesterol levels, like exceeding the norm? Uh, did he die because he had heart disease? We, we don't really know. And in fact, as Liz pointed out, the FBI kind of intervened. And I think they even decided that they didn't want the autopsy results to come out. So people did not know that he was not a healthy individual and that other factors could have 
made him succumb. I mean, it just seems that there's a, we talk about in foreign policy an axis of evil, but we are now seeing in the judicial system an axis of evil between the police agencies, corrupt prosecutors, and even corrupt judges. I won't say corrupt juries, because one of the points that Liz made was she goes, listen, listen, there was a lot of stuff that wasn't even shown to the jury. Mm -hmm. If the jury saw it, they might have been like, whoa. But don't you think that there is an element of intimidation for the jury? I think so. Because I I think as a juror, even with the OJ case, right? As a juror, you don't want people to retaliate with what you decided. Right. So, so some, some jury pools are, are, are mixed and, and, and the, the person is white. So that never happens. But if the, if the defendant is black or, and the, the person that are not the defendant is black, the defendant is white and the person that is in question as in died by the hands of that person is black. You better believe the jury is going to be intimidated into deciding. Even though. I mean, this is what made it so strange. The public narrative was focused on race, race, race. And to my knowledge, race wasn't even really introduced, certainly not as a significant factor in the trial. Right. So the trial itself ends up being about something quite different from the racism that is mobilizing all these public protests and lootings and burnings, uh, all this BLM stuff. And and it has the markings of it's kind of. Ironic. It has the markings of Karl Marx, the Marxist propaganda, the Marxist way of doing things, divide and conquer, make people hate each other. And and then Liz also said, I think she said this off camera, so it wasn't on the, she goes, hey, you made your film about police state. This is my police state film, which I think had a grain of fruit to it. My name is Mark Lichtenfeld, best-selling author of Get Rich with Dividends and chief income strategist at the Oxford Club, one of the world's largest and most prominent financial firms where over 250,000 readers receive my insights each week. I believe we're entering the greatest oil bull market since the 1970s. That's why I'm so excited to share this special oil and gas investment with you today. I've discovered an unusual way to potentially bank massive income from the oil and gas surge 100% outside the stock market. Oil and gas Gas royalties are a backdoor way to get paid over and over again, and you can get into a top royalty stream for just $25. This is your chance to get the income you need to truly enjoy life, simply because you made the decision to give the Oxford Income Letter a risk-free try today. But this opportunity won't last forever. To learn more about Mark Lichtenfeld's unusual approach to generating monthly income from the oil markets, please visit oilpayday.com. That's oilpayday.com, paid for by the Oxford Club. It's very clear that at the center of the corruption scandal involving the Biden family is Joe Biden. Joe Biden bought a vacation home for cash, $3 million, just five months after he left the vice presidency. Now, how could he afford to do that? He's on a government salary. Where do you get $3 million in loose cash to buy a house? Well, the answer is... He got it through the corrupt network of LLCs. So you see here that Hunter Biden, although he's himself making off like a bandit, not like a bandit, he is a bandit, bandit. right? And Joe (laughs) Biden is the other bandit. And they're all sharing the loot. That is the, that is the story that's going on here. And yet there's a little bit of a tap dance. And they say tap dance because first of all, these charges involving Hunter Biden are only on the issue of did he pay his taxes? So not did he take bribes, not did he sell influence, but once he got this money, did he properly pay his taxes? And and I think you spotted right away, and others have commented on this as well, this is a way of kind of saying, okay, we're, the DOJ is, uh, you know, treating everyone equally under the law. Look, we're going after Hunter Biden, but what they're really doing is making sure that Joe Biden is kept off the hook. Yeah, yeah, they're they're really doing it. To do that, to do exactly that. But as I keep pointing out, the more, so if, if Hunter Biden gets indicted and prosecuted and found guilty, all of that before the election, you better believe that daddy, big daddy is going to exonerate him or pardon him, right? He's going to pardon him. So then it's going to be erased from his record. And as you know, a pardon does do that. And so why not? Why not throw the book at him? You know, sentence him to 30 years in prison. And then here comes the big daddy. Boom. Signs the pardon. pardon. Yeah. Done. And then, and then Joe Biden gets off. 
Hunter Biden gets off, and there they go. And I, isn't that the story of the Democrats? This is the outcome that, like, we as Republicans are almost now, I wouldn't say, it's almost resigned to, right? Because whenever, generally, when I talk to you, I'm like, impeachment <laughs> is moving forward, or Hunter Biden is being subpoenaed, and you're like, yeah, but what's actually going to happen? Is this guy, is this guy really going to be impeached? And if, even if he is impeached, which is a long shot, what will happen in the Senate? And similar with Hunter Biden. Okay, he hasn't showed up for his, you know, he didn't show up for, he, he was subpoenaed. Mm-hmm. He didn't show up. He only showed up in the Senate side, interestingly enough, right? He did his little speech on the Senate side because they don't have any jurisdiction over him there because he's not being questioned by the Senate. Right. Right. So he was very clever. I'm in Capitol Hill, just not in the Capitol Hill part of where I'm supposed to be. Right. You know, so he did that. And he was sort of dictating the terms of his own subpoena. He's like, well, listen, I will I will appear in public testimony. Now, look, it's not that the House doesn't want him to appear in public. They want him to appear in public eventually. But their point is, and this is true in any legal case, anyone who's been through a legal proceeding, deposition first, trial after. And yeah. that's partly so that the, the lawyers have an idea of what to question you about. Yeah. So he's trying to dodge that, yeah. circumvent the deposition, move straight to the trial, because then they don't know what he's going to say. Whereas in a deposition, you've already given a record. So that now if you lie. Yeah, I guess. I guess. But also you have to remember that Republicans like to do everything by the book, whereas Democrats Throw the book out unless the book. Oh, they is, throw the book at you. Uh, they throw the book at you. They, yeah, ask questions later, right? Throw the they book indict at first and investigate later after that. Yes. And our side is the opposite. In fact, it's almost, we're almost see, look, we're almost moving into 2024. And even if we get around to this, so like, like, for example, the House voted on an impeachment inquiry, but even an impeachment inquiry is not an impeachment. Right. So we get to the impeachment inquiry. It's taken this long. Right. Then you say, okay, let's go ahead with that. And then let's just say some months later, okay, we've decided we're going to impeach the guy. Well, now you need to set a schedule. Yeah. You need to have the impeachment process. But and then wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be clever and kind of funny if the Republicans were like, you know what? Let's just drag this out. Until after the election. And then let's just say Joe Biden doesn't win the election. Joe Biden can't pardon him. Oh, that's interesting. You're saying this may be the one way to hold these guys accountable. Yeah. Here's AOC, by the way. She goes, Republicans do not have a single witness to any of their alleged allegations. I mean, think about it. A single witness. We don't have a single witness except Devin Archer. Tony Bobulinski. Bank records. Bank records. <laughs> highly credible IRS whistleblowers who have come forward. So there's actually a procession of witnesses. And compare this, for example, the Trump case. Oh Where are gosh. the witnesses that oh. Trump altered business records? Well, only one. Well, Michael Cohen. And even he doesn't claim to be present. He simply claims to have been in the team when that happened. So here you have... And I've seen similar things from Representative Goldman, not surprisingly, from Nadler. So these guys, it doesn't really matter what the facts are. They're just going to... They're They're just going to robotically repeat a certain line and hope that they can sort of stall this or get away with it. They're kind of hoping the Republicans are weak, and they're not entirely wrong in that. They're <laughs> They always count on Republican weakness and Republican ineptitude. Here's a smart idea to consider. Diversify your savings with physical precious metals while stockpiling silver in your home safe. It's Birch Gold Group's most popular special of the year. Now through December 22nd, for every $5,000 you spend with Birch Gold, they'll send you a one-ounce silver eagle coin for free. Text Dinesh to 989898 to claim your eligibility now. You can purchase gold and silver and have it shipped directly to your home or have Birch Gold's precious metal specialists help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold for no money out of pocket. And they'll send you free silver for every $5,000 you purchase. Keep it for yourself or give something with real value as a stocking stuffer this year. Just text the keyword Dinesh to 989898 to claim your eligibility. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, Thousands of happy customers, including me. Now's the best time to buy gold from Birch Gold. Text Dinesh to 989898. Claim your eligibility for free silver on qualifying purchases before December 22nd. There is finally, belatedly, an effort to try to get a list of 
Jeffrey Epstein's customers. In other words, all the guys who flew on his plane, went to his private island, were part of his sex trafficking operation. Not the girls, some of whom have come forward and filed suit and so on. But we're talking about the people, the kind of dirty old men, if you will, who are part of the scheme. Notice that not a single one of them has been held to account. A few names have surfaced, I guess Prince Andrew and a few others, but no one has been prosecuted. Uh, and in fact, by and large, the list, which probably is a pretty long list, has never been publicly disclosed. So now we have some people. I see that Marsha Blackburn in the Senate, but also Tim uh, Burchett in the House, Republican from Tennessee, are pushing for the release of Epstein's flight logs, right? Now, to me... On the one hand, first of all, if you just get a flight log, it doesn't by itself prove anything because it's a whole, okay, yeah, so I traveled on the plane, but that doesn't mean I didn't necessarily did something. It's a little incriminating because you were on that plane, presumably going to that island. But, but what I find really weird is the police agencies of government already know this. They already have, they have the list. So they're talking about releasing a list and the Republican, let's see the flight logs. Whereas they should go, we need to force the DOJ and the judicial apparatus to open up those names and start prosecuting those people. So they're not really going, I think, to the heart of the matter. But why is it a partisan issue? Why is it that the Republicans want the flight and, and the Democrats don't want it to be released? Why is it partisan? Why do you think it's partisan? I mean, this is interesting. So let's, let's look at this. So Marsha Blackburn says, I was trying to get uh, these flight logs uh, to be uh, made public. Mm-hmm. But she says that Dick Durbin, who is the committee chair mm-hmm. of that particular committee, uh, didn't allow it to happen. Now, when Dick Durbin was asked about it, very interestingly, he pretended like he didn't know what this was really all about. He acted like well, they were trying to get something, and I really don't know what the significance of it is. I mean, this is a highly publicized case. So I think that this kind of, I'm not sure what's going on, is... He's playing dumb? Uh, he's playing dumb. He's playing dumb. He's also playing bureaucratic, because one of his staffers, at least in this article, this is an article on Fox News, says that uh, he claimed that there were several other votes that needed to occur first before you could vote on this one. See, I think what he was doing is trying to blackmail the Republicans and basically say, I've got seven things I want to get passed first. And the Republicans were, they were too smart for that. They were like, no, 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 we're not gonna, we're not gonna grant you a vote and pass your unrelated garbage mm-hmm. so that That's we can easy. get to a, yeah, yeah, so we can get to our one issue. But so interestingly, this is being stalled in the Congress. So mm-hmm. it's being, it's been stalled by the FBI. It's been stalled by, remember, even Epstein himself got a sweetheart deal. Yeah. So for years, yeah. he had a, almost a trivial conviction. Yeah. And um, so it's very interesting how someone like that creates I mean, this is not just a case where the guy's running a burglary operation or even a... No, this he's, is a very serious... It's an elaborate self-traffic. And, and that's, I think it's even a blackmail scheme. Mm-hmm. It could be that he had powerful people who were... I, I have a feeling that it's probably the Clintons, you know, uh, probably even some people in the DOJ... Uh, uh, maybe some politicians, some Democrat politicians. You mean these are the people because Let who- me tell you, let me tell you, if there were any Republicans on this list, MAGA people, Republicans, conservatives, this list would have been let out a long time ago. I and, mean, and, and the media would be screaming exactly, for it. Exactly. It would yeah. have been, it would have been made public immediately, immediately. But because that's probably not the case, they're hiding it. I, yeah, I you can be you can be absolutely right. sure Trump is not on this list. Is well, what you're exactly. saying? Exactly. If Trump alone were on this list, the Democrats would give up six Democrats oh. to get Trump, uh, you know, as well. Release it. Release it immediately. And New York Times, oh. they'd be filing motions. They'd be freedom of information yeah. requests. How do we know Epstein was a Democrat? We know that, right? Right. And he mostly hung around with Democrats. We know that as well, right? So I do think that there's some very powerful people on this list that are either making threats and we don't know what kind of threats i mean you know he ended up committing he ended up suiciding himself right so we in very suspicious circumstances we don't know 
We don't know what the threats are. We don't know if, if these people are so high up that they actually do control the media. They do control the Democrats. We don't know, but something fishy is going on. I mean, it, it, the cover up is not just at the level of Dick Durbin. It's also a cover up at the level of the media, because this is a case where the silence of the media, they're very happy to move along from the Epstein case. Okay. We, Epstein is dead and the woman, uh, what's her name? Uh, you know, the, the enabler, yeah, the woman Mal- who worked Mal- with him, Mal- uh, uh G- Gillen Maxwell. Maxwell. Yeah. She's in yeah. prison. So justice has been served. We don't have to look any further, guys. Uh, this I think is the continuing abrogation of responsibility of the media. I want to talk to you about my pillow. Debbie and I just ordered a bunch of my pillow towels. Don't spread the word in the D'Souza family, but everybody's getting towels this year, among a few other things. Anyway, MyPillow is excited to bring you their biggest bedding sale ever and just in time for Christmas. For a limited time, get the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98, a set of pillowcases for only $9.98, or you can rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. They also have blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles. They even have blankets for your pets. Get duvets, quilts, down comforters, body pillows, bolster pillows, so much more. All with the biggest discounts of the year and all happening now. They're also extending their money-back guarantee for Christmas until March 1st, 2024. So this is the perfect time to get gifts for your friends, your family, and everyone you know. Uh, here's the number to call, 800-876-0227. Once again, it's 800-876-0227. I'll go to MyPillow.com to get the discounts. You need to use the promo code. It's D-I-N-E-S-H Dinesh. It looks like our friend Javier Millet, and I say our friend because we are both very enthusiastic about this guy, the new uh, president of Argentina. But it looks like he's hit the ground running. And this is a guy who made some very extravagant uh, claims and promises. And of course, it's always a question mm-hmm. once Whether you get in order, there. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, you were telling me that he was very honest up front before the campaign. And even though he said, I don't like a lot of these social services and a lot of these got this government dependency that's been created over the not just years, but decades. He admitted that some of that he would not be able to change. Mm-hmm. So talk about that yeah, because I don't think yeah. people know that. Yeah. So he was basically telling the people, hey, listen, I'm not going to take away your services. I'm not going to take away this. I'm not going to take away that, whatever. You know, he, he was making promises to the people that were being lied to because basically his opposition at the left was telling everybody, hey, you know what? You're not going to get any, any money anymore for milk, or you're not going to get any money anymore for this or for that or medical. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, take, I'm not going to privatize medicine. I'm not going to privatize education because I think people were told that he was going to. And, and he said he wasn't going to. So I think. I mean, part of what he was saying is I don't have the power to, uh, because let's remember, he doesn't actually, he doesn't have a legislature that is entirely in his doing his bidding. But he wasn't even going to advocate for it. So I thought about it and I was like, you know, why would somebody in a third world country or in a country where the left has dominated politics for 20, 40 years, why would someone come in and say, done? Enough is enough. Welfare is over as we know it. Uh, we're now going to be free market only, capitalist only, blah, blah, blah. Okay, why wouldn't somebody come in and do that? Well, first of all, they would never get elected. They would never. Get We've elected. had this conversation about Venezuela yes. where um, the, the the candidate that, that you like and we're, we're supporting, which is Maria Corin, Corina Machado. Yes. Now, some of the sort of right-wingers in Venezuela say, well, she's not, you know, right-wing enough because she doesn't want to cut all these social programs. Uh, but your point is, listen, you know, first of all, when people are, are promised all this stuff by the government, you cannot take it all away in one snatch, right? You sort that. of have to do, you have to wean people off of the welfare state That's or the right. extreme welfare state. Right. And, it's and like this giving, is, it's like giving candy to a baby, right? You can't like take it away. That or take it all away. Or take it all away. You've got to do it perhaps a little, them, right? Yeah. yeah. But now look, here's Millet. He comes in. Apparently, out of the 21 cabinet positions, 
he's are he's eliminated 12 so they're down to nine yeah. cabinet positions yeah. and you remember that video where he was looking at yeah taking out all the organization yeah this organization of this yeah, yeah, yeah. scrap or this scrap yeah. so i think he's doing that in a way because uh, some of those were just agency right right but he he right. appears to be wiping out some whole departments the agency of gender studies boom, boom. You know? <laughs> that's right you know so. it says he's targeting a balanced budget by 2024 He has embraced the dollar over the peso. This is a way of stabilizing the currency. Like currency. Um, mm-hmm. He's about to make Argentina great again, which means he's not hesitating. He doesn't hesitate <laughs> to identify Argentina with Maga. Trump. Now he's apparently not quote taking on China mm-hmm. in part because Argentina sells a lot of goods to China. Yeah. Uh, China is a huge buyer of Argentine soybeans and corn and beef. Yeah. China is also building some infrastructure projects. Yeah. Look, I mean. part of him protecting his country's self-interest is recognizing that he is doing business and there's no reason for Argentina not to do that. I don't actually oppose any of this, mm-hmm. but the good news is the Argentine stock market went surge. Up. Yeah. Big surge um yeah. almost a 30 it looks to me like it's almost a 30% surge in the stock market at in Buenos Aires. So what it shows you is that that these are free market policies that are likely to work. Yeah. At least the market is giving them And the, it shows that he's a really smart guy and he knows how to do it and to do it effectively, right? If Because you watch this guy's videos, he is uh, and even though he's speaking Spanish with subtitles, he is a very good explainer uh-huh. of the basic purposes of oh, government. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh and uh in fact one of the best One of the best I've seen. Yeah. Um in some ways rhetorically uh, and in different ways. I mean Georgia Maloney has her own style in yeah. Italy. Yeah. She's very good But on certain types of issues. <laughs> oh no, his style is He's, His style is very unique, I have to say. <laughs> He actually likes to put in a little bad word here and a little bad word there, you know. I mean, the for example, the Viva la Libertad, carajo. I mean, that's kind of You know, kind of vulgar expression. Kind of vulgar, but but it's like he's mad. You know, he's like, you know, being it's kind of equivalent like like liberty and freedom. Damn it, right? Yeah, Isn't that what he's getting like at? That. Well, yeah, the emphasis. Say, yeah, yeah. Some people say that it's not actually damn it, that it's something else. But I I always thought it to be that. So yeah, uh, regardless, he's funny. He's well, it's really brilliant. important that that he do well, and and that the guy in uh, Bukele in El Salvador do well, yeah, yeah. Maloney do well. Well, we know people love him because he. He won by the largest margin in Argentina history as far as winning a presidency. Which I you were a little doubtful that he would yeah. pull off uh, not only a, pull off a victory yeah. at all. And and because because the right wingers tend to self-destruct, uh, that's been kind of a play for all of Latin America really. The the right wing side of the government, they can they, they're too like principled on this or they can't agree on that or whatever and they self-destruct and that gives the left that Arena to come in and take it over, right? So happily, so, that did not happen yeah, here. Glad, woof. Christmas is coming up, and if you're suffering from aches and pains, I cannot think of a gift that's better than feeling good again. It's perhaps better for you than even getting a new car. So here's an idea. Relief Factor. It's the gift that helps people relieve pain and feel good once again. Relief Factor is a daily supplement. It helps your body fight back against pain. It's 100% drug-free. Relief Factor was developed by doctors searching for a better alternative for pain. Relief Factor uses a unique formula of natural ingredients like turmeric and omega-3s to help reduce or eliminate the everyday aches and pains you are experiencing, whether it's neck, back, joint, or muscle pain. Relief Factor can help you feel better. Unlike pills that simply mask your pain for a short time, Relief Factor helps support your body's natural response to inflammation so you feel better all day, every day. See how Relief Factor can help you with their 3-week quick start kit. It's only 19.95 and it comes with Relief Factor's feel better or your money back guarantee, so why not give it a try? Visit relieffactor.com or call 804-RELIEF. The number again, 804-RELIEF. or go to relieffactor.com when you feel the difference you know it works there are two candidates running for congress that uh, were particularly excited about for 2024 one of course is my son-in-law Brandon Gill and the other is Myra Flores who came close the last time but is running again for congress uh, in the Rio Grande Valley so earlier this week we were 
uh, in Dallas. And, uh, well, Brandon and Danielle put Debbie and me to work. <laughs> and so we were, you know, contacting donors, strategizing, doing all the stuff that you do when a family is directly involved in a political race, which, by the way, is not a first for you. You've been in so many different counties. You've campaigned for judges. You've campaigned for Congress. For me, it's actually new because even though I've been in politics all my life, I haven't been in this phase of politics. And, and I have to say, it is a, I mean, it is a grind, right? It's, it's, and I know I see even with Brandon, I mean, this guy's on the phone eight hours yeah. a day. Well, it's a grind, especially because there's so many different components. There's the, the, there's the fundraising component. Then there's the volunteer component, the block walking, the push cards. Um, the you radio know, ads, all of it, billboards, all of it, billboards, signs, yard signs. There's just all endorsements. Yeah. Endorsements, all of that. But it's really important. And, and I hope that, that Brandon, um, like really embraces this, but it's really important to do more grassroots and to really get people involved on that grassroots level, more so than getting endorsements from people that don't even live in Texas, more important than getting big fundraiser events, you know, it's really important for the mom and pop and, and the neighbor next door, you know, somebody that can give, you know, the, the small amount. Because if you get a lot of people to give $20, $30, $50, it means a lot more because this is, these are the very people that are going to go to the polls and vote. Well, and for these you. are people giving out of their paycheck. Yes. You know what I mean? They're, it means something it to means them. Something. They, this is something that they could use for something else, but right. they're choosing to give it to you. Right. I also think we were talking about the block walking. And you were telling me all about how you do it. You have a sign. You keep your signs in the car. Yes. You go with literature. Yes. And I was thinking that, look, you know, if there are two candidates who come and want your vote and one of them came to your door and chatted with you, even for a few minutes, yes. uh, you're more likely to vote for that guy. Yes. And it's obviously easier in a county that has a few people, right, or a few neighborhoods. But Brandon's Brandon's district is very, very wide, and there's a lot of rural land and all of that. So it's going to be a little more complicated, but it can still be done. And Myra actually is very good at this. In fact, Myra, before she even met my mom, she block walked on my mom's very street. And she went to my mom's house before she even met my mom and, and gave literature. So... So Myra definitely goes in there and she, she meets people. She meets people at the, at the grocery store. You know that when we went to, to the restaurant that we all ate at, people came up to her and said, Myra, we really support you. We like what you're doing. Keep it up. You know, all those things. It's, it's very important for, for a candidate to, to, to do that, to make himself available to people. Because yeah, that's ultimately why they vote for you. And it was really touching. I mean, it's kind of interesting. We have it somewhat similar when we're down in the Rio Grande Valley and, you know, some guy comes up to me in the airport or in the road and you're like, wow, look at that guy. That's not the kind of guy you would think would be a fan of your work, but he is. Yeah, yeah. And the same with Myra, because Myra is pro-Trump. She's running on a conservative yeah. platform for the Valley. Yeah. So it's really cool to see Hispanics. Yeah. And, and you know, this is the, this is the thing. The Valley is winnable, but we just have to make people aware of the platform and of why voting for a Democrat is different than voting for a Republican. I mean, you know, I have family that's Democrat, very dug in Democrat, right? Um, my mom's next door neighbor is a Democrat. My mom has help that your brother that's uh, my brother. My brother's a Democrat. Really hard to get people to understand why they vote the way they vote, and it's really different, difficult to change their hearts and their minds. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a it's a bit of a paradox. You can see Myra is wrestling with it. On the one hand, you know, she was born in Mexico. She's got the sort of perfect resume, and so she could campaign by saying, "Vote for me, Myra." Uh, and not necessarily for me as a Republican, but I think what you're saying is that uh, that in the end, we want to convince people that it is about the platform, that mm-hmm. the two parties differ dramatically. Right, right. Which is why Myra is running in the Republican Party and not in the Democrat Party, because that party does not serve her values, does not speak for her values, whereas the Republican Party does. So that is what I want to make people understand. Okay, you don't like... You don't like the trans agenda. Okay, then why are you voting for it? You don't like abortion. Then why are you voting for it? So issues, right? 
Yeah, we, one of the things our side needs to learn is to try to use all your influence. I think it's fair to say that you and I, in every way, want to go all out to make sure that come November of 2024, we're looking at Congresswoman Myra Flores, Congressman Brandon Gill, and <laughs> President <the> Donald Trump. <laughs> There's a new film coming out for Christmas from director George Clooney. It's a rags-to-riches story and an absolute crowd-pleaser. It's based on the number one New York Times best-selling book. It's an inspirational true story about one of the most difficult sports in the world, rowing, and the 1936 University of Washington College rowing team that competed for gold at the Summer Games in Berlin. It's an inspirational film. This team rowed out of need, need to eat, need to sleep, and it gave them an edge that captures the power of working together to overcome all odds while rowing for America. They just don't make movies like this anymore. This is a movie filled with wholesome content that makes it the ideal multi-generational movie for the holidays. Joel Edgerton and Callum Turner star in this exciting and incredible story of courage, hard work, and determination showcasing America at its best. Believe in each other. Believe in the impossible. The movie is called The Boys in the Boat. It opens Christmas Day in theaters only. Get tickets now. Boysintheboatmovie.com I'm going to complete my discussion of ordinary life in a Soviet uh, prison camp. In some ways, we see that it resembles ordinary life in prisons all over the world. Now, of course, the people in the Soviet prison aren't really convicts. So they're not convicts because they necessarily did something wrong. In fact, very often the best people in the society end up in prison. These are political prisoners. And uh, Solzhenitsyn tells us that they took the old jails, which are left over from the Tsarist period, some of them from the Romanov dynasty, and sort of remodeled them, strengthened them, perfected them. And uh, some of those old prisons, Solzhenitsyn says, were kind of dignified. They had these kind of doors plated with iron, and some of them had tables and stools and cots permanently anchored in each cell. And so, the in some ways, there is a um, the cells are an inheritance from the old times, but the Soviets have adapted it to communist uh, purposes. Originally, food was pretty good in these prisons, and. Um, Solzhenitsyn says that lunches included some meat, fresh vegetables were served, you could buy milk in the commissary. But then in the 1930s, there was a kind of deterioration of the food supply, and um, some of the prisoners then began to get sick from malnutrition. Interestingly, Solzhenitsyn says the light in cells was always rationed. So what an odd statement. But what it means is that they don't allow you light. Think of it. We, in normal life, take for granted light, right? I mean, it's it's light in the day because we can go outside. Uh, the sun comes inside our homes. Uh, at night, it's dark. But guess what? We have electricity, so we can we can have light whenever we want, but not in prison. In prison, it's lights out. Or in prison, is you get light 12 hours a day, and for 12 hours, you don't get light. So, so... Uh, the uh, prisoners find that light becomes uh, a desired commodity. And in winter, the light is even less to be found because natural light is less available. Things are covered with snow, which cuts off the access to the light. Walking outdoors, again, something that's taken for granted in normal life, but in prison, it is uh, something that you have to look forward to. Why? Because you're allowed, he says, 15 to 45 minutes uh, outside, and it varies depending on uh, the prison. He said there was no such thing as communication with the soil that had existed in Schlusselberg or Solovsky. Everything that grew had been torn up by the roots, trampled, covered with concrete and asphalt. So these prisons used to be uh, a prison that was connected sort of to nature. You'd have kind of a dirt um a road or just a dirt path outside, you could walk on that and have some connection to the soil. But now, no, it's all covered up. It's all asphalt. So there's a certain kind of, I think Solzhenitsyn is getting um, a, a denaturalization of the environment. Everything is, is concrete. Everything is antiseptic. 
And uh, something I mentioned yesterday, they even forbade lifting up one's head to the heavens during these walks. Look at your feet. So they want you to be degraded. They don't even want you, in a sense, morally or spiritually to be uplifted by looking up to the sky, by perhaps imagining God in the heavens. None of that. Look down. Look down to the ground. Look down to the, not to the earth, but look down to the asphalt. He talks about the fact that in uh, many prisons, your personal items are taken away and you basically have a uh, striped mattress. He says correspondence is permitted once or twice a year and only on days that they announce. So like, okay, we're going to allow it next Wednesday. We'll take letters. We'll mail them out. But the next uh, day to mail out letters may not come for, um, for months. And, uh, there are, of course, uh, frequent searches and, uh, in which you have to strip down to complete nudity. And so this is, this is prison life. Uh, they want to make sure they, they, there's always a pretext. We want to make sure you're not hiding something. We want to make sure, well, they also want to make sure that you can't communicate with other prisoners in ways that they don't allow. So uh, the entire cell, he says, would get punishment for graffiti in the toilets. Why? Because even graffiti is seen as a form of communication. He talks about the punishment cell. That's the sometimes called the hole. It's a cell within a cell. This is like where they put you in solitary, where you're all by yourself. You're in prison, but you're being punished. And he talks about the fact that these punishment cells are, you don't even have a bed. He talks about a guy named Kozirev who learned to sleep sitting on a stool. He says one of the officers in violation of the duty uh, gave him a piece of sugar with his bread ration. So all you get to eat is bread. But one of the officers kind of took pity on the guy and they're like, okay, here's some sugar uh, to go with the bread. He was only five days, five days in the hole. And he kept count of those days. And, um, and the one thing that they were waiting for him to say, this is so strange. They were waiting for him to say, my five days are up because you're not even allowed to say that. If you say that, it's seen as unruliness, uncooperativeness. You're trying to sort of put one over on the guards. Hey, you got to send me back to the normal prison because my five days in the cell are up. So this guy, even though he was aching to say that his five days were up, he didn't say it. He just sat silent and obedient. And at the end of the fifth day, they had to let him out. And then Solzhenitsyn goes, after the punishment cell... The ordinary cell seemed like a palace. Subscribe to the Dinesh D'Souza podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Or watch on Rumble, YouTube, and SalemNow.com.